Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, Executive Editor of Recode, and this is Recode Replay. Here's an interview from the stage of the 2017 Code Media Conference in Dana Point, California. You can find full coverage of all the speakers of the conference on recode.net. Now I'm going to hand it off to CNBC's Julia Borston. So you're taking on TV. You've already taken on YouTube in terms of competition for ad dollars, but now you want to be a destination for video. You're investing in original content. And it seems like you're really competing with TV for ad dollars as well as people's attention, people's eyeballs. What is your video strategy? Well, first of all, thank you for having me. <laughs> good to see you, Julia. Um, I'm not, I'm no pleasantries. Good to be We're in the Ritz-Carlton right in. in Orange County with all of our friends. And a lot of our partners are here, so it's actually really great to, uh, to be here. Um, I spoke at this conference five years ago, and at that time it was all about mobile, mobile, mobile. And this year it's all about video, 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 uh, which makes sense. I mean, digital video is obviously huge for the industry. It's huge for Facebook. Um, and for us, you know, our video strategy is really coming into focus now uh, in three ways. The first is there's a lot of video happening on Facebook already in newsfeed, over 100 million hours a day of video. Now, that's all short, like 30 second, one minute videos that people are watching when they're scrolling through their feed, they have five minutes in the day to check out what's going on. Um, but it started with autoplay video a couple years ago, which kind of launched us onto the video scene for the first time, through to live last year and Instagram stories. And today we have some new announcements that we're going to make uh, around that part of our video strategy. The second, which you and I were just talking about, is monetization and business model for video for our partners. Um, you know, Historically, we've been a distribution channel. That's really great for media companies who want promotional access. We have branded content now, which Tasty is doing an amazing job leveraging. So there is a way to make money, but we haven't yet had an advertising product for video partners where they can monetize their content. And then the third piece is the video tab, which we've been testing uh, since November. It's a place where you can go if you just want to watch video on Facebook. And our idea there is to really create something unique that's designed around our competency and community and social and interaction where the conversations around the video are as important as the content itself. So what are you announcing? So we've been obviously for a long time continuing to improve the video experience within Newsfeed. Today we're going to be doing uh, four things. The first is we're going to show vertical videos without cropping them so they'll take up the whole screen. We're very, gonna, very Snapchat of you. We're going to honor the, uh, well, there's a lot more vi vertical video, obviously, and it makes sense when somebody sees it in their feed, it shouldn't be cropped. We're going to honor the sound settings on your phone. So if your phone hard setting is turned on, we'll autoplay with sound on rather than defaulting to sound off. We think people are comfortable with that now. And you're not afraid that someone's going to be scrolling through Facebook while it's secretly in a meeting and then all of a sudden a video sound Well, when we started on? doing autoplay video a couple years ago, it was really new. I think now people are used to that. A lot of other services honor the sound setting on the phone. And if somebody has their phone turned on, if they get a phone call, it's going to make a noise too. So they're pretty con conscious of what of what that's set to. And if they, uh, if they see a video, it'll play with sound on. The third is you can take a video and drag it to the corner. So if you want to watch that video and continue scrolling through your news feed, you can do that. And then the last one is um, we've had the ability to cast from Facebook to TV for a long time. We're now, in the next few weeks, we'll be launching a connected TV app on Apple TV, Amazon Fire TV, and Samsung TV. Um, a lot of people, when they're watching video and newsfeed during the day, will save it for later because they don't have time to watch that three-minute video. Uh, 
now it's easy to go on your TV if you want to do that at night. But this is a big move for Facebook to really decide that you want to be a destination for watching video, not just on your phone, but also on your TV set. Well, I think, look, we want people to be able to consume our content wherever they are, right? Whether it's on their phone, whether it's on their computer. Um, the TV is just another screen for that. But we're a mobile-first company. So the products that we build are always going to be oriented around the experience you have on your mobile device when you're watching video. And a lot of what we're interested in is the conversation that happens around video, which is really easy to do on a mobile phone. We saw that with Live, where the comments and the interactions are almost as important as the content itself. But so if you are so focused on mobile, why does it make sense to try to have a place on these connected TVs, these connected um, boxes, like YouTube? I mean, YouTube has an app for TV. Are you trying to compete more directly with YouTube than you already do? Well, again, I mean, if people want to watch video from Facebook on their TV, there's no reason why we wouldn't want But they can to do already that. do that. This is different. This is a destination for video, a combination of friends' videos, professional videos, which you're investing more in, on your TV site. So you want people to come home at the end of the day, turn on TV, and watch Facebook. Well, I think, actually, like, the destination is on your phone. It's the video tab at the bottom of your feed, where if you want to go just watch video on Facebook, you can do that. And the products we're designing are really going to be oriented around the use case of people watching on their phone. We're, we think what we're good at is mobile, we're good at social, we're good at feed style interactions, and we're good at community. And that's the kind of content that we want to bring into the video tab. If you want to watch that on your TV, you can, but it's going to be designed for a small screen. How does this how does this fit into your investment in original content? You hired Ricky Van Veen. He's been taking meetings with every content creator, as far as I could tell, and trying to figure out what content you guys want to pay for to put on your TV, on your TV and now also on your phone. Yeah, so I think it's important to start by saying our business model for the video tab is going to be a rev share with ads. And we have a product that we're testing right now called Ad Break, which is a mid-roll ad that will appear inside of videos. Um, we've been testing that for a while in live videos, and in the next few weeks we'll start testing it in videos that aren't live. What's the split going to be? It's going to be the industry standard split that YouTube Roughly and others 50, use. Roughly 50-50. And, um, and that will be the long-term model for this. We're a platform company. We take the approach of wanting to you know, let people create for the platform and not necessarily try to pick winners. But we recognize that the video tab today is an experiment. There's not a lot of people going there. And for us to seed that ecosystem of content creators, a lot of the people in this room who are interested in building for that, we need to prove that there's a model there. So we're going to invest ahead of that. Ricky's going to do some of that with, uh, with a lot of content partners to see if we can create content. The thing we're looking for is can we do something that's really unique, that really plays into our strength, that has this community aspect where there's conversations that are happening around the content. It's not that you're sitting there watching something in isolation. It's that you're watching it either with your friends at the same time or you're talking about it with your friends or other people who have a shared passion um, asynchronously, but it's about the conversations as much as the content. So last night we heard Eddie Q talk a little bit about the original content Apple's investing in, and it's very much in line with Apple's areas of expertise, music and apps, um, with Carpool Karaoke and Planet of the Apps. And how, how is your content going to fit in with Facebook's um, focus? Is it going to be, are these going to be shows about social things or things trying to get your friends to comment? I mean, what type of content are we going to see you pay for? You know, Eddie talked a lot about culture, that Apple really sees that as kind of their special mm -hmm. sauce. And I think the equivalent for us is community. So um, I'll give you a couple of examples. There's tons of Facebook groups today that are 
communities of people who don't necessarily know each other in the real world, but have shared passions. Um, and they get on Facebook and they talk about those things. And a lot of what they do is share video. Um, there's a group that's uh, for internet racing, or, sorry, drone racing for beginners. And you can imagine a drone racing group has a ton of video that people are uploading to it. Today, if you want to join that group or if you want to go watch those videos, you have to find it through the group's product. If you had that as kind of a, a channel in the video tab, that would be a place where people who are passionate about that could engage. But it's still about the community around it as much as it is about the, the videos that are, that are actually being shared there. So that's one view of it is through the communities that already exist on Facebook and the content that's already there and bringing that into uh, an experience. The second piece, which is what Ricky's team is working on, kind of proof of concept, is can we inspire video creators to build content that starts with the idea that there's going to be conversation and community around it and that people are going to engage with that shared passion. So, you know, I'm a big surfer. The World Surf League creates amazing content on Facebook. That's the perfect kind of thing for the video tab if they want to start producing content that will bring surfers together and, and create community around But how is that different from what's already happening? I mean, people are already talk on Twitter and Facebook about what's on television. Yeah. How is this different from what's on TV or what's already being shared on Facebook? Well, there, there's definitely TV content today that lends itself to this kind of conversation, right? There's, there's a lot of TV content you watch in isolation, but you know, a lot of it you also want to talk about with your friends and family, and even in a lot of cases you talk about it with people who you don't know in real life, but you have this kind of shared passion for it. Um, that's the kind of stuff that we think would live really naturally in our video tab. And when you're talking about it on your phone while you're watching it on TV, that's a disconnected experience if you can actually bring those two things together where you're talking about it in the same place that you're watching it, we think we can create some special, interesting experiences. So how long are we talking about here? Two-minute-long segments, hour-long segments? Are you going to be competing with Netflix and Amazon and Hulu for those types of shows? So today, again, today what you see on Facebook is like 30-second, one-minute videos. There's this guy who produces a daily one-minute video called NAS Daily in the Philippines. You know, those do really well in newsfeed because when you're Checking your newsfeed, you usually have five or 10 minutes, you're in between meetings or in line at the store or something. A 10 minute video doesn't work there. But if you want people to save the video and watch it later on their TV, that's So could some work people there. do that, some people do that, but it's not a prominent use case. It's not you know, what most people think of when they're watching video on Facebook. So you tend to get shorter videos. We also don't have a business model for video on Facebook today. So a lot of the videos we get from professional creators is promotional. Right? The NBA posts highlights because they want people to buy tickets to the game or they want them to watch it on TV. Um, with the video tab, we hope that we'll start to see you know, something a little bit longer than one minute. But I don't think it makes sense that you're going to immediately start seeing 30-minute or one-hour shows. You, you know, companies like Facebook and technology companies in general, as Ben Thompson reminds us, ladder up. We're at one minute today. We'd be very happy if we got to five or 10 minutes. And also, I think that also makes sense in the context of it being primarily a mobile-first experience. And so who is your competition? Is it television? Is it YouTube? Is it Hulu, Netflix, all of the above? Well, let's keep in mind, we're just getting started. <laughs> the video tab has been out for a couple of months. Um, a lot of what I'm describing here is coming later this year. If you go there today, you'll see some live video that's happening in Newsfeed that we've put into the video tab. But the stuff that Ricky's working on isn't going to ship for a few months. Um, the idea of starting to create conversations around video is coming uh, down the road. 
Um, so, you know, we're early days. We still haven't launched the ad break product that's going to give professional content creators a business model to let them invest in this. And when will that launch? Um, we're testing it right now for live. So we do have quite a few creators who are in testing on live. And for non-live videos, we'll start testing it in the next few weeks or, or months. Speaking of live, last year was all about live. And now we're hearing more about this professional content. Is this a, a, a shift? Are you going to be adding something else? Or is it, I would say, is it a shift of strategy or is it sort of an expansion? And is this confusing to your media partners? Well, again, I think we're, we, we kind of ladder into different um, experiences. So live was born out of this idea that people are now watching a lot of video because we had autoplay. The ice bucket challenge actually caused a lot of people to realize they can create video themselves. They have a video camera in their pocket and they can share it. And live was like this natural extension of, well, you can do that now in a way where you can get an audience while you're creating the content. What, what does that unlock in terms of the new kind of conversations that can happen? Um, it's turned out to be a very popular format. A lot of people are doing it. Um, and a lot of what you're going to see in the video tab will be live video. But we think that there's a bigger opportunity. Live kind of inspired us to start thinking about video as social. And we want that to be kind of the cornerstone of what we're doing in the video tab, but it doesn't only have to be live. There's a lot of social experiences created when people are watching video at different times but are talking about it because they have a shared passion. You mentioned the stories format. Obviously, we've heard that's been a huge hit on Instagram. You're now rolling it out to Facebook. What about the criticism that you're just copying something that works on Snapchat? And is that just going to be your strategy? You're bigger than Snapchat. You can copy the formats that work. Well, I think it's a great format, obviously. I think you know, autoplay was a great format. Live is a great format. Stories are a great format. Um, they, people love it. Um, so you're just going to copy their formats? If well, I mean, we're, <laughs> we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna give people products that they love. And we're going to test new products. We're going to innovate and build our own sometimes. Sometimes we're going to take inspiration from other people. Um, but you know we're good at building products, and when we see something that our users are responding to, we're definitely going to invest in that. Even if you haven't invented it yourself? Sure. Okay. Fair enough. Um, ha- there's a lot of products on Facebook that we did not invent ourselves. Okay. Uh, moving on to fake news. What's your responsibility to prevent fake news from spreading on Facebook? So this is something that obviously we're very serious about. Um, we launched the Facebook Journalism Project. Uh, to talk about not just fake news, although that's a really important pillar of it, but to talk about our relationship with the news industry, uh, with news publishers who are really important partners to us. Um, We talked a lot about video here, um, and news publishers are definitely leaning into video, but there's also a lot of text-based news content, and we have instant articles, and we have 200 people around the world now led by Campbell Brown working with news publishers. So we have a big part of our strategy with news, which is our relationship with the news publishers. The second part of it is our relationship with journalists. We have a big commitment there. We're doing a lot more work. We actually just spent the last few days with local newsrooms in a couple of cities in the southeast talking about how we can enable local news journalism in new and different ways on Facebook. And then we have the third pillar of this, which is news literacy. And that's really about educating people uh, on Facebook in our community uh, about how to read and interpret news. And fake news is a big part of that. Um, but it's bigger than just fake news. But people don't come to Facebook to be educated about news literacy. They come to Facebook to see content that their friends have shared and to share content. And the problem that people are still really concerned about with fake news is that 
there, things are shared, and even if you're rolling out these tools to say, oh, this is a disputed article, people may not be paying that much attention, or they may not care if a friend of theirs shared it. People think of Facebook as a source of news, and often associate the news they're reading more with Facebook than the sources that it originally came from. Well, first of all, if, if a story is disputed, you can't not notice that because it's quite prominent in the UI. Um, so the way this works, just for people to have, to have context, is um, if, we, if somebody in the community reports a story uh, to us as being fake and we send it to a fact checker um, and they come back and, and confirm that the story is, is a hoax, um, then there's a very prominent label that says, if you find that in your newsfeed, there's a very prominent label that says, this has been disputed by a third party. And if you try to share it with your friends, there's another label that shows up that says, before you share this, you might want to know it's been disputed by a third party fact checker. But if it's a hoax, why, why don't you just like prevent people from sharing it? Well, it also is factored. It's like block it. It's also factored into our newsfeed algorithm. But look, at the end of the day, if people want to share stories with their friends that we tell them have been disputed by third parties, that's their prerogative. So Mark Zuckerberg always referred to Facebook as utility. And when it comes to the dissemination of news, it's a utility. It's a pipe that the news is distributed through. Isn't it your responsibility to prevent dangerous false stories from being distributed through that pipe? Well, I definitely think we want, we want to be useful to people. And we have news feed values that are based on, first and foremost, helping people connect. Uh, secondly, uh, informing people, and third, entertaining people. Those are the newsfeed values. We also have community standards, and those community standards are designed to keep Facebook a safe place for people to interact and connect and, and, and be informed and entertained. My team enforces those. I have the community operations team as well as our partnerships and M&A teams. Um, and, and that's a really important part of what we do. Um, and we do have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to our community. That's why we're doing the work we're doing with third-party fact-checkers. It's why we're doing the work we're doing on news literacy. We're partnering with the Walter Cronkite School of Journalism at Arizona State University. We're going to bring together people from technology, media, journalism schools, influencers to think about news literacy more broadly, because that really is the bigger challenge here, is to educate people about how to read and consume news. And on so the how, how are you going to do that other than with these alerts that pop up? Oh, this article you're you're reading this amazing, crazy headline you're reading. It's actually fake, but you can go ahead and read it. I mean, how, are you considering making other changes with these? So we're just getting started. Yeah. There's a lot of work that we think we can do. We're also partnering with the News Literacy Project. We're doing public service announcements with them. And um, they're, obviously their entire mission is around news literacy. So we think that there's a lot of, of work we can do there. So we have a lot of ideas. We're getting down, you know, we started with the third party fact checking. We thought that that was really important to do quickly. Um, and we're going to be building from there. What about the role of human curation? You had this team of people who were, were working on the trending topics, and then you eliminated that team. What role is human curation going to play in this news, in this future of news on Facebook? Yeah, I think, look, people are really important in terms of being able to train our systems to be smarter, and that's, um, you know, we continue to have a lot of people who, who do that. Um, but keep in mind, we're running a service for nearly 2 billion people around the world. And so for us to be able to do that uh, at scale, we need to have our systems be smart enough to, 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 to localize content. One of the big changes we made to trending topics recently is we moved away from personalizing trending topics for each individual person to really moving to more of a, a, a regional uh, trending list 
And we moved away from people writing headlines to getting our system smart enough that they could um, that they could create the right headlines, and, and I think that's actually a better model. So you're moving, so there won't be people involved in There's this. still people involved, but they're involved with training the system as opposed to actually writing stuff. So they're training the algorithms to figure out what's trending. Yeah. But what about with the fake news stuff? Do you need people to help train the machines there, if not make make calls on what's real and what's fake? Well, we definitely have people training our, our systems all the time. I think with respect to fake news specifically, we are, are making a, a very important point of not putting ourselves in the position of deciding what's fake and what's not fake. I don't think people want us to be the arbiters of truth. There are third-party fact checkers out there who do this for a living. This is their entire mission in life, and we're going to rely on them to do that, and then we're going to let people know when those stories have been disputed. If Facebook doesn't want to be the arbiter of truth, why not bring in one of your third parties and have them decide these 2,000 news sources are reputable and these 100 news sources are consistently not reputable? You should just never publish from those 100 news sources. Again, we're just getting started. So I think the first step we took it was, was a good one, which is we built these relationships with third-party fact-checkers for the first time. Um, we gave our community a way to report stories for the first time if they thought something was fake. And we're sending the clear hoax type of content to third parties so that they can dispute it and tell people when it's been disputed. There, um, there was an uh, article about Tim Cook saying that fake news is killing people's minds. Ed EQ talked about it again last night. Yeah. Do you think that Facebook and the rest of the technology industry is doing enough right now? Or do you think that more needs to be done? Well, I think what Tim was talking about was really this whole notion of news literacy. He talked about the importance of educating people. I think he made an analogy to kids learning about the environment and then moving to really change the way that we're treating our environment. And you know that's what we're talking about when we talk about news literacy. We need to invest. We need to put resources against this. We need to help people learn how to read and interpret news online. Um, it's a skill that people are going to need to have, and that's something that we're definitely committed to. Um, Flipboard's Mike McHugh said recently that he thinks that having algorithms and your friends decide what news you read is dangerous, effectively. And um, that this idea that if it's not, you know, the, the era of Walter Cronkite news is, is over where everyone learns the same thing. And there are these amazing divides between what Trump and Clinton voters think is, is true. And a lot of people think the Bowling Green Massacre is a real thing because it was presented at one point as news. So um, I just wonder what role Facebook has, or what you think what role Facebook has to educate people in terms of what's actually happening in the world? I mean, is there a neutral news feed that needs to be disseminated along with stuff on either side? Well, I think we've always discovered the news through the lens of our friends and family. I mean, you know, I used to read newspapers and cut out articles and mail them to my friends uh, when I thought they'd be interested in that. I'm sure a lot of people here With stamps did that and before. everything? Yeah, and with stamps, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but look, that's the way we've always discovered news and information. We call our you know, mom and dad and say, hey, did you just watch 60 Minutes? Um, and it's not surprising then that when Facebook came along and allowed people to make these connections online and removed a lot of the friction, instead of having to cut something out and mail it, you can now just click and send it, um, that a lot of the way that people are discovering their news is through, is through social media. Um, and we completely recognize that, and we know that that's an important res responsibility that we have, and we, we are taking that very seriously. Um, but look, I think the other thing about social media is that you're not just talking to your 
closest family members and your closest relatives. Most of us are connected to people in our lives who are more of the loose ties, people we went to high school with, people we met and you know, stayed connected to. And a lot of those people don't have the same points of view that we have. So in that sense, we think that there's actually a lot of information out there that people get exposed to that is different from the Walter Cronkite era of television. So Facebook shows me different options of videos to watch, you deliver news to me. To me, it sounds like Facebook's a media company. Well, look, I think we've answered this many times. We're definitely a new kind of platform. We recognize we're not just a strict technology company in the traditional sense. We have values. As I mentioned, we have values around our news feed. We have community standards. Um, we're definitely a, a very big part of how people discover news and entertainment. Um, and we play a really big part of the media ecosystem without a, question, without a doubt. Um, so we, we get all of that. There's obviously a lot of nuance in this kind of thing, but, but we understand that it's not as simple as saying we're just a technology company. You're a media company. I think we're, I think we're a platform where people discover a lot of media content. Okay, fair enough. Now we get to open up to questions. Hi, I'm, I'm Alex. Uh, I, I, I think you, you've, uh, it's, it's very clear that you guys are taking the fake news uh, concept very seriously and addressing it, and uh, I'm certainly excited to see kind of how that progresses. But let's imagine a future where there is no fake news. It's essentially eliminated or effectively eliminated from, from the feed. The challenge that I have uh, when it comes to my Facebook experience is a little different, which is not so much the fake news, but the fact that because of the, of the way in which I've, in, I've interacted with news categories or content types, I tend to see more and more of the same and less and less of kind of a point of view that I haven't sort of engaged with in the past. So back to the, the Walter Cronkite question or a different way of, of, of putting it, do you feel there's a responsibility that Facebook has to try to present these sort of differing point of view from the weak connections that you were talking about, but do so in a way that almost counters uh, the, the sort of my, what my behavior would suggest I'd be interested in reading. I think there is more we can do there, and, um, and we're definitely exploring it. Um, it's, it's obviously, we need to be careful, and we need to do it in thoughtful ways, um, but we definitely recognize that there's opportunities to bring in different points of view, to expose people to different um, perspectives, and one of the small baby steps that we took in that direction is this change that we made to trending topics, where now instead of seeing stuff that's just strictly personalized to you, you're seeing what's trending in your area. And hopefully that gives you access to perspectives that aren't necessarily only in line with what, with what your view is. Hi, Dan. Uh, Will Richmond from Video News. If we could just return to the topic of video monetization in the video tab. Uh, and I heard you clearly that it's early days, you're experimenting with ad break, mid-roll. Just wanted to ask you a little bit more about your thoughts on pre-roll ads. Mark Zuckerberg has said a number of times that he's, he feels that pre-roll doesn't align with the newsfeed format, but here now we're talking about video tab, which is really much more like a destination where people are more accustomed to seeing pre-rolls. Pre-rolls are certainly the workhorse ad unit in the online video ecosystem. Could you just say a little more about your thoughts on potentially seeing pre-rolls in uh, video tab or elsewhere on Facebook? Well, we'll see. It's, the video tab is so early. I mean, there's very few people actually using it. We haven't yet started to populate it with the kind of content that we think will really inspire both consumers as well as content creators to invest into it. What we have today is a lot of video being watched in newsfeed and a lot of partners who are creating video and getting a lot of views in newsfeed. And those partners have been asking us for ways to make money. 
Um, and we have this challenge, which is that when you're scrolling through a feed, if the first thing you see when a video starts autoplaying is an ad, you don't even know what's behind it yet. You haven't sought out that video. So to, to ask you to sit through an ad before you see the content that's behind it, we don't think will work well. I was having this conversation with Henry Blodgett over the summer. He creates an enormous amount of video content on Facebook, and, and Business Insider does really well. And I was kind of asking him, what, what do you think we should do? We'd like to, to unlock this for, for partners. Um, we know partners will invest a lot more if they can make money from it, um, but we don't think the traditional pre-roll model works. And he said, you know, Dan, when the early days of television, the networks told the content creators uh, that they were going to put ads at certain points in, in, the, in the shows, and the creators built around that. They built their content knowing that an ad would appear after a certain number of minutes in, in the show. And so if you gave us something like that, we would build around it. We would make video that's designed for ads to appear inside of it. And that was one of the early inspirations for us to start testing ad break. We've been doing that with live video. We're going to start doing it with other videos soon. And if we can do that, I think we will give people a way to start making money from feed. Well, I think that's going to translate well to video tab. It may not. We may need a different model for video tab. We're going to have to see how that evolves and what the what the video tab experience ends up being, um, but we're just getting started there. Thanks, Dan. I want to take Kurt's questions because he's going to be writing this up. So. Awesome. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, Kurt with Recode. Hey, Dan. Um, hey, you know, last year you guys paid a bunch of publishers to use Facebook Live. A lot of those deals are coming to a close now. Are you planning to renew any of those deals? And if not, uh, are you concerned at all about people continuing to use Facebook Live organically? So we do occasionally pay partners up front to seed these new ecosystems. Um, we've done that, for example, with Oculus in uh, VR. It's a completely new area. There's not a lot of people who have VR devices yet. So for us to inspire uh, content creators and game makers to build for it, we need to help them with, we need to take some of the risk off of their plate and, and put it on ours. So um, we did that with Live when it was a completely new format. We realized that this is going to have some startup costs associated where you have to learn how to do this and, and get people who are trained in it. And so we invested ahead of that. In all of these cases, and we're going to be doing the same with Ricky's team on the video tab, in all of these cases, our goal is to kind of get it seeded and then move to a model that scales over time through RevShare. So our business model in all of these areas is going to be RevShare. Um, and, and that's our, our hope with Live as well. We're, we now have the ad break that's appearing in Live. Um, we have a lot of people who know how to use it now and can do it in a, in a sustainable way. Um, and you know, I'm not going to comment on the specific live deals that we have out there, um, but long term, our model there is going to be RevShare. Okay, so, so sorry, so it's seeded and, and you're ready to move on to the RevShare versus the, the paying stuff. When we talked about it with people up front, we told them that we were going to pay for the first year. That's kind of around now. We're going to probably extend some of those for a while longer just to make sure that people have a chance to transition. But the long-term model is RevShare. Thank you. Yeah. We are out of time, but I'm going to take one more question, and let's just make it quick. Sorry. Thank you. Uh, Gretchen Tibbetts with Little Things, so one of your non-paid but largest live broadcasters. Wonder if you can talk a little bit more. We've standardized. I hope to start paying you soon with our ad breaks. I hope they work. We hope so too. We're doing 30 to 60 minutes. I heard you say much smaller is the focus, so I'm a little concerned of the investment that we've made in doing our shows that are going 30 to 60 minutes in live. So live actually does work for longer. People do stick around when we see a live video. The average viewing time tends to be longer than non-live videos. I think for what you're talking about, 30 to 60 minutes, the video tab is really going to be the natural home for that. 
Again, if you just think about how people use their, their news feed, they check it multiple times a day when they have short amount of time. And so they can save it for later, but that's not as prominent a use case today. So I think what you're doing is great. I hope we unlock value for you, both through AdBreak, which is coming, and, and you know, I think our early data suggests that it'll be good, and through the video tab, which is, again, still really early. We don't know if that's going to work and how many people are going to want it. But if those come together, I'm hopeful that there will be a, a good business opportunity for you. Great. Thank you. Thanks. A nice positive note to end on. We're out of time. Dan Rose, thanks so Thank much. You. Really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Recode Replay. You can find all the podcasts from Code Media and our other conferences at iTunes.com slash Recode Replay. Or just go to Recode.net for full coverage of the Code Media Conference. If you like this sort of interviews, then good news. We do interviews just like them every week on Recode's free podcasts. I host Recode Decode and co-host Too Embarrassed to Ask with Lauren Good of The Verge. And the producer of Code Media, Peter Kafka, has new interviews with the smartest people from the media world every Thursday on Recode Media. You can find all these shows on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Or just go to recode.net slash podcasts.